This is a true crime podcast. It contains adult themes and content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. When a guard would stop and talk to you, you used to stand back and you would yell so people could hear what you were saying to that guard as they walked by or, or within the vicinity. But he knew what a convict was going to do before they thought of it themselves. themselves. He just been around that long and uh, he was tough. They'd find uh, Sparky in about every conceivable place you could imagine, which we would, of course, dump. They'd wait until everybody was locked up and he would open his door, run down to cell one and get a bugler can full of Sparky and take it back to his cells. She had a kind of a hypnotic power. There were a great many wild cats around the penitentiary, and most people couldn't get near them. But she would stand in the doorway of the cell house and say, kitty, 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 and those cats would go to her. All right, welcome to a very special edition of Stool Pigeon Saturday. This is a holiday Thanksgiving episode, and I'm happy to have my fellow interpretive specialist at the site here, JC Brain. Welcome, JC. Hi, Anthony. <laughs> it's good to get to join you. Happy Thanksgiving, yeah. also. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah. It is almost the holidays, and I know you did an amazing uh, Halloween special earlier and so amazing i don't know but a halloween special yes yeah it's nice to do uh some of these themed episodes because it was this was open year round the Mm -hmm. penitentiary was open year round and so they acknowledged what time of year it was typically absolutely uh and so because we are always looking at every aspect of prison life and Mm -hmm. how they treated uh how they what sort of privileges they gave the inmates what uh how they handled customs and anything that the inmates were accustomed to in the real world in prison, whether they received it or not. We uh, collect these stories about how the inmates celebrated the holidays, Mm -hmm. Christmas, Thanksgiving, even Easter and Valentine's Day. Right. There are tidbits here and there along the way, even if they weren't something that they celebrated every year, celebrated Mm -hmm. heavily. But Thanksgiving, of course, was their second biggest holiday here at the prison. You'll find that whenever they were discussing Thanksgiving, a lot of times they'd throw in that they were saving their energy for Christmas because they'd always try to uh, throw a big Christmas play or a Christmas musical and have a meal just like they would at Thanksgiving. And so they always seemed to put something together for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they'd have outside guests come in and perform, speak to the inmates, um, church services, all those sorts of things. Excellent. So uh, we started getting into a lot of this stuff. Uh, One of the things I I do is help with uh, the social media here at the site. And and so around Thanksgiving, we started pulling some of these files to post and share with our audiences Mm -hmm. seasonal bits of information and stories that were relevant to the time of year. And then, as always, with everything we do, that snowballs. And so I was thinking for your Thanksgiving special that we would uh, go back in time a little bit and see how they celebrated Thanksgiving over the years. Let's do it. You want to do it? Yeah. All right. Where are we starting? I, well, we're starting with the appetizers, of course. We're starting with, (laughs) we're starting with a relish tray. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) 
as early as 1889, we've found reports that uh, the inmates, the, the prison, sorry, would put together a Thanksgiving dinner that was at the very least bigger than their typical meals mm-hmm. uh, and more and more special than a typical prison meal. And one thing that's really interesting is that, you know, for all of these social updates, for all of these uh, kind of more superficial stories that are meant to make you feel good or just keep you updated on what's going on with society. Our main sources, of course, the Idaho Statesman or the or the inmate newspapers, mm-hmm. people who were trying to catch the audience's eye and, and find a hook for them to to want to read what they're putting out. But the way that they would typically post this information and talk about what the prison was doing at Thanksgiving, it was framed within what's going on with people who are away from home or people who are less fortunate than mm. than the rest of us. So a lot of times they'd post a, an article uh, around Thanksgiving that said what was going on at the barracks, okay. you know, what was going on with the soldiers yeah. um, who were stationed here, what was going on at the children's home, mm-hmm. what was going on at, it actually specifically mentioned the state deaf, dumb, and blind school mm-hmm. and the poor farms. They'd, yeah. all, they'd kind of run down what was how each of those institutions was celebrating but then they luckily for us usually would go into more detail Mm -hmm. right with what with what the penitentiary was doing they'd include sometimes the the full menu Mm -hmm. sometimes the full program of what songs they were singing and who they were having as guest speakers or sometimes uh even a full transcript of of uh the inmates not a prayer, but their Thanksgiving proclamation, a message from the prisoners to the rest of, to the public at large. I was just going to say, do you have any examples of those proclamations? I do. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So kind of bumping ahead to 1894, one of the coolest stories that that uh, we've been able to dig up was their 1894 Thanksgiving program. And it began with, you know, a local reverend and then followed by a film and then some of society's most prominent women reciting uh, comedic stories and poetry. They'd mentioned that Mrs. Ruth Maynard played violin. A male quartet would sing several songs accompanied by a mouth harp, uh, (laughs) as well as piano and banjo performances, mostly female musicians, uh, usually because these were put on by women's groups Mm -hmm. outside of the prison who would come in and entertain the musicians. And so we found Edna Shaw, right? Mm-hmm. Who you and I were just talking about. Yeah. Edna Shaw was apparently very involved in the local theater scene and these women's groups. She's always mentioned as a standout in programs, comedies, programs, plays, minstrel shows, unfortunately. Unfortunate uh, reality of the times. And they mentioned at one of those, those minstrel shows, it was called Queens of Minstrelsy, that uh, she rode a bike on stage and performed a song called My Pearl's a Bowery Girl. And the audience loved it so much that they called her back on stage twice to sing it. <laughs> That's so incredible. Right? What a different time. And she's just like a local celebrity. Yeah, That's... right. Mrs. That's Edna so Shaw. Huge shout out to my good friend Karen Coates for singing this song with me. Thanks, Karen. Of course, every boy has a sweetheart. And some boys have two or three Of all the girls in this city There is only one in it with me 
her folks in the Bowery, a few doors away from Canal, and helps to support her old mother, does my little Bowery gal. My pearls about girl, she's all the world to me. She's in it with any of the girls around the town, and a cocky good looker. She kills them all As waltzing together we twirl She sets them all crazy A spieler, a daisy From my pearls and power guy In summer we go down to Coney's Together we stroll on the beach And sometimes we go in the ocean For at swimming you bet she's a peach of me are jealous but with me with that cuts no eyes I'm going to leave her to the altar as soon as I get the prize my girl's a bowery girl she's all the world to me she's in it with any of the girls around the town This 1894 Thanksgiving program, she chose to perform a written piece called The Ruggles Dinner Party. And (laughs) of course, when, you know, Anthony knows this better than anybody, find these details. And so we, of course, dig into them and and want to learn more about it. And uh, The Ruggles Thanksgiving Dinner Party went by several names, The Bird's Christmas Carol, Mrs. Ruggles Christmas Party, mm-hmm. several different titles that this story went by, but they're usually the same. It involves a poor family with nine children who are invited to dinner at a wealthier family's house at the request of their young daughter who feels like she has enough Christmas <laughs> gifts, that she has everything she needs, and so she wants to invite this family over that she she knows for, for Christmas dinner. So... We found a play version of the story. Yeah. Several parts. Luckily, we have a few more staff around other than just me and you right now, right? (laughs) And so hopefully we can uh, get some people together to dramatize this for you guys. The Bird's Christmas Carol by Kate Douglas Wiggin. Reasons for the play. To afford pleasure. To correlate English and music to teach ethics, to stimulate sympathetic participation in environment, to make use of present opportunities, and to encourage appreciative reading. 
Act 1. Scene. Home of the birds. Carol, an invalid chair knitting, crocheting, sewing, or reading. Mrs. Bird likewise occupied. Mr. Bird with newspaper in hand. Time, just after Thanksgiving. Daddy, do you know the Ruggles children, don't you? Of course I do. They are so poor. I'd like to have them come here Christmas and give them a good feast. Besides, I'd like to make gifts for them because if you buy everything, it doesn't show so much love. Won't you get too tired, dear, making all these gifts? Suppose you buy them some clothes. I know they need the clothes, but they don't care much for them after all. I know the children will be glad to get something for fun, too. Now, Papa, won't you please let me go without part of my presents this year and give the money they would cost to buy something to amuse the Ruggleses? You can have both. Is there any need of my little girl's going without her own Christmas? I should like to know. Spend all the money you like. But that isn't the thing, Daddy. It wouldn't be mine. What is the use? Haven't I almost everything already? And am I not the happiest girl in the world this year with Uncle Jack and Donald at home? You know very well it is more blessed to give than to receive. So why won't you let me do it? You never look half so happy when you are getting your gifts as when you are giving us ours. Now, Papa, submit, or I shall have to be very firm and disagreeable with you. Very well, Your Highness. I surrender. That's a dear, Papa. Now, what were you going to give me? Confess! A bronze figure of Santa Claus, and in the little round belly that shakes when he laughs like a bowl full of jelly is a wonderful clock. Oh, you would never give it up if you could see it. Nonsense, as I never have to get up to breakfast, nor go to bed, nor catch trains. I think my old clock will do very well. Now, Mama, what were you going to give me? Oh, I hadn't decided. A few more books, and a gold thimble, and a smelling bottle, and a music box, perhaps? Poor Carol, she can afford to give up these lovely things, for there will still be left Uncle Jack and Donald, and Pa, and Hugh, and Uncle Rob, and Aunt Elsie, and a dozen other people to fill her Christmas stocking. Since Carol feels that way about it, I suppose we must let her have her own way. It's time, dear, for you to retire, so put away your work and let us go upstairs. Act 2, Scene. Kitchen in the Ruggles' home. Carol's invitation hanging under the looking glass. Row of seats formed directly through the middle of the kitchen. Seven chairs, wood box, and coal hod finishing out the line. Sarah Maud seated at the head, and Larry on the coal hod. Time, Christmas Day, 4 p.m. Bird's Nest, December 17, 1889. Dear Mrs. Ruggles, I'm going to have a dinner party on Christmas Day, and I would like to have your little children come. I want them everyone, please, from Sarah Ma to baby Larry. Mama says dinner will be at half past five in the Christmas tree at seven, so you may expect them home at nine o'clock. Wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, I am. Yours truly, Carol Bird. Well, if I do say so, as I shouldn't, I never see a cleaner, more stylish mess of children in my life. I do wish Ruggles could look at ye for a minute. Larry Ruggles, how many times I got to tell yer to keep pulling at your sash? Haven't I told yer if he comes untied your waist and skirt'll part company in the middle and then you'll where you'll be? Now look me in the eye all year. I've often told you that kind of a family the McGrills was. I've got reason to be proud, goodness knows. Your uncle is one of the police force on New York City. 
You can take up the paper most any day and see his name printed right out, James McGrill. And I can't have my children fetched up common like some folks. When they go out, they've got to have clothes and learn to act decent. Now I want to see how you're to behave when you get there tonight. Taint so awful easy as you think tis. Let's start at the beginning and act out the whole business. Pile into the bedroom there, every last one of you. And show me how you're going to go into the parlor. This'll be the parlor, and I'll be Miss Bird. Exit children, making much noise. Enter children, straggling, younger ones giggling, Sarah Maud ahead, Larry struggling ahead of his elders, and tumbling in head foremost. There, I knew you're doing such a fool way. Now go in there, try it over again, every last one of you. And if Larry can't come in on two legs, he can stay to her home. Do you hear? Exit the children. Enter children. Lockstep, Indian file, scared, and hunted expression on every countenance. No, no, no. That's worse yet. You look for all the world like a gang of prisoners. There ain't no style to that. Spread out more, can't you? And, and, and act like careless, like nobody's gonna kill you. That ain't what a dinner party is. Exit children. Enter children in proper manner. Now you know. That ain't enough decent hats to go around. And if there was, I don't know, I'd let you wear them for the boys never think to take them off when they go inside, for they never do. But anyhow, there ain't enough good ones. Now, look me in the eye. You're only gonna just round the corner. You needn't wear no hats, none of you. And when you get into the parlor and they ask you to lay off your hats, Sarah Maud must speak up and say it was such a pleasant evening and such a short walk that you left your hats to home. Now, can you remember? Yes, yes Mom. Mom! What have you got to do with it? Did I tell you to say it? Weren't I talking to Sarah Maud? Yes, yes Mom. Mom! Now, we won't leave nothing to chance. Get up, all you, and try it. Speak up, Sarah Maud. Mom? Thought it was such a pleasant hat that we'd we we'd better leave our short walk to home. <laughs> oh, whatever shall I do? I suppose I gotta learn it to you. Now, Cornelius, what are you gonna say to make yourself good company? Do me? Dunno. We ain't gonna to sit there like a bump on a log without saying a word to pay for your vittles, are ya? Ask Miss Bird how she's feeling this evening, or if Miss Bird's having a busy season, or if this kind of weather agrees with him, or something like that. Now we'll make believe we've got to the dinner. If they have Naki and Sarah Maud down to Puri, may put them in their laps, and the rest of you can tuck them in their necks. Don't eat with your fingers. Don't grab no vittles off one another's plates. Don't reach out for nothing, but wait till you're asked, and if you never get asked, don't get up and grab it. Susan, keep your handkerchief in your lap with Peary. And Peary can borrow it if she needs it, and I hope she'll know when she needs it, though I don't expect it. Now, we'll try a few things to see how we'll go. Mr. Clement, do you eat cranberry, sirs? Bet your life. Clement McGrill Ruggles, do you mean to tell me that what you say at a dinner party? I'll give you one more chance. Mr. Clement, will you take some of the cranberry? Yes, marm. Thank you kindly. If you happen to have any handy. Very good indeed. 
but they won't give you two tries tonight. You just remember that. Miss Puri, do you speak for white or dark meat? I ain't particular as to color. Anything that nobody else wants will suit me. First rate. Nobody could speak more genteel than that. Miss Kitty, will you have hard or soft sauce with your pudding? Hard or soft? Oh, a little of both, if you please. I'm much obliged. Peter Ruggles, don't keep staring cross-eyed at your necktie pen, or I'll take it out and sew it on Clem or Cornelius. Sarah Model, keep her eye on it, and if it turns broken side out, she'll tell you. Gracious, I shouldn't think you'd ever seen nor worn no jewelry in your life. Eli, you and Larry's too little to train, so you just look at the rest and do as they do, and the Lord have mercy on you and help you act decent. Now, is there anything more you'd like to practice? If you're telling me one more thing, I can't set up and eat. I'm so crammed full of manners now, I'm ready to bust without no dinner at all. Me too. Well, I'm sorry if you're both if the amount of manners you've got on hand now troubles you. You dreadfully easy hurt. Now, Sarah Maud, after dinner, about once and so often, you must get up and say, I guess we'd better be going. And if they say, Oh no, sit a while. You can sit, but if they don't say nothing, you've got to get up and go. Oh, well, seems as if this whole dinner party sat right square on top of me. Maybe I could manage my own manners, but to manage nine manneries is worse than staying home. Oh, don't fret. I guess you get along. It's quarter past five and you can go now. Remember about the hats. Don't all talk to ones. Susan, lend your handkerchief to Puri. Peter, don't keep screwing your scarf pin. Cornelius, hold your head up straight. Sarah Maud, don't you take your eyes off Larry. And Larry, you keep hold of Sarah Maud and don't just as she says. And whatever you do, all of you, don't forget for one second that your mother was a McGrill. Acts 3. Scene 1. The Ruggles is on their way. Time, Christmas Day. 5.20 p.m. It was such a pleasant evening and such a short walk that we thought we'd leave our hats to home. It was such a pleasant evening and such a short walk we thought we'd leave our hats to home. Peter rings the doorbell. Maid opens the door. Enter the nine Ruggleses. Come right in, please. Scene two. Carol's room. Table set. Tree in corner. Carol in invalid chair. Did you lay your hats in the hall? It was so very pleasant that... that... That, that that we hadn't good hats enough to go round. Of course you wouldn't wear hats such a short distance. I forgot when I asked. Now, will you come right over to Miss Carol? She is so anxious to see you. How do you do, Sarah? I am so glad to see you all. But where is baby Larry? Didn't he come? Larry! Larry! Uh, I'm sure he came in with us, for I remember scolding him for tripping over the doormat. Are you sure there were nine of you? Uh, I think so, sir. But anyhow, there was Larry. Oh, well, cheer up. Probably he's not lost, only mislaid. I'll go and find him before you can say Jack Robinson. I'll go too, if you please, sir, for it was my place to mind him. And if he's lost, I can't relish my vittles. Exit Uncle Jack and Sarah Maud, the latter calling. Larry! Here I be. Enter Uncle Jack, Sarah Maud, and Larry. Oh, 
Let us begin our Christmas dinner. Larry, going at once for a high chair, climbing up like a squirrel, clapping his hands in ecstasy, resting his fat arms on the table, and crying with joy. I beat the whole lot of you. Uncle Jack, please sit at the head, Sarah Maud at the front, and that will leave four on each side. Mama is going to help Elfrida so that the children need not look after each other, but just have a good time. Look, will you? Every feller got his own particular butter. I suppose that's to show you can eat that and no more. No, it ain't either. For the pig of a peer, he's just getting another helping. Yes, and the napkins is marked with big red letters. I wonder if that's so nobody will nip them. Oh, Peter, look at the picture sticking right under the dishes. Did you ever? The, the plums is all took out of my cranberry sauce. It's Fritz to a stiff gel. Hiya, I got a wishbone. I declare to goodness, there's so much to look at, I can't scarcely eat nothing. Bet your life I can. My dear child, there is no doubt about the necessity of this feast, but I do advise you after this to have them twice a year or quarterly, perhaps for the way these children eat is positively dangerous. I assure you, I tremble for that terrible Peoria. I'm going to run races with her after dinner. Never mind. Let them have enough for once. It does my heart good to see them, and they shall come oftener next year. Uncle Jack, won't you play Santa Claus now? Oh, oh, certainly. But let us sing to that beautiful tree before we rob it of all its gifts. All form circle around the tree and sing to the tune of Maryland. Oh, hemlock tree, oh, hemlock tree, how faithful are thy branches. Oh, hemlock tree, oh, hemlock tree, how faithful are thy branches. Green not alone in summertime, but in the winter's frost and rime. Oh, hemlock tree, oh, hemlock tree, how faithful are thy branches. Uncle Jack then distributes gifts as follows. Each girl... Blue knitted hood and plaid dress. Each boy, red crocheted comforter and a warm coat. Sarah Maud a set of books. Peter a silver watch. Cornelius a tool chest. Clement a doghouse. Larry Noah's Ark. And each of the younger girls dolls. Children, it is half past eight and time for you to be getting ready to go home. Exit children to get coats. Enter the children, gathering the various gifts. Thank you, Miss Carol. We've had a lovely time. Good night. Good night. night. Children departs carrying their toys. Curtain. You know, I think it's important to note, though, that when we're talking about these sorts of things. I mean, Halloween's a little different. You guys were able to talk about the ghost stories and the scary reality of the prison's history Mm -hmm. and the fact that so many, you know, terrible things happened at the prison and there were people who were legitimately, who had done legitimately terrible things both in, before they came to the prison and before they, and while they were here. And while they were here, yeah. So it's, you know, often controversial to talk Mm -hmm. about the holidays here. Right. And how the holidays were celebrated here and how it differed from being outside of the prison. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's um, there's arguments that people who were incarcerated and being punished shouldn't have mm-hmm. any of those 
benefits that we or those qualities of life that we that we have as as a regular citizen who hasn't been thrown in jail for after being accused right. in, of a crime. This is and punishment. So, you shouldn't have right. this. You shouldn't have a Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. And so, um, but I think what, you know, what happens is that the staff who are making these decisions are around these people all day. Mm-hmm. And just like us, you know, they're they're able to see all aspects of these people. Absolutely. How they, yeah. how they are when you get to know them, how that they're human. And so it's easy to, you know, it's definitely easy to think that someone to state or believe that people who are incarcerated, you know, shouldn't get any of those things. But then I think, you know, things are different when you're actually inside and getting to know the people and discussing the upcoming holidays and making plans, you know, and, and, and use and even using things that the inmates themselves worked for and created mm-hmm. while they were there, they were you know raising the the poultry, they were growing, mm-hmm. they were Definitely. producing the food, and so I think it's it's just important to acknowledge that you know we're not necessarily making light of what the inmates did, why, and were incarcerated for, mm-hmm. just discussing how how they celebrated things that the entire world or the entire country celebrates and how it differed and why they would have celebrated when one would think that maybe they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's important for, you know, mental health, you know, during the holidays, that's when depression and suicide, all this stuff happens and attacks like violence can happen, you know, lashing out because of this depression that, that the inmates would have had had they not been given this little opportunity to like not think about being away from their family and their friends and having all their freedoms, let them do a play, you know, let invite some women's groups to come in to perform and get them through this misery for a few months so that they don't lash out. Like, I think, I think there's, there's part of that aspect to it. And then you find the the costs far outweigh the benefits. Right. Yeah. That having these women who are the, or likely the, volunteering. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. that they're or using supplies that were generated by the prison mm-hmm. to provide them with those moments of joy. Yeah. Can prevent moments of darkness that are that are going to affect not just the prisoners themselves, but the entire institution. Yeah, the safety of the officers right. and everybody. Yeah, yeah. That, so, the worry of escapes and things like that. It's just... Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely an argument to be made um, mm-hmm. regarding what's more beneficial if, if the goal is to rehabilitate people while they're, while they're incarcerated. Then is it more beneficial to to keep them going mentally and mm-hmm. to keep the, and to reward them yeah, if yeah. they're making strides and, and doing their time while mm-hmm. they're here. Yeah. Is it, you know, is it more important to do that or is it more important to punish them and, and make them sit these things yeah. out and think about what they've done and, yeah. and know that they'll get those things back when they are released yeah. You know, it's that's the debate, right? right is yeah. what is what is more beneficial? Yeah, what's more effective? Yeah. yeah, create bitterness and yeah, or yeah, and that's what we're you know that's what we're the essentially the story that we try to tell here. Yeah, absolutely. At the site, you know, I think that's 
above all else the th- the question that we are tra- we try to answer here. Mm-hmm. And well, so, I, I hope our performance of the uh, Ruggles Thanksgiving dinner here I know. <laughs> brought some joy to everybody. It's a, Chris- it's a Christmas dinner, but they they read the story at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Hey, Thanksgiving <laughs> Christmas starts on. Uh, November 1st, right? Yeah, I think so. Right? Yeah, You're right blasting after. the Christmas tunes. No, no. I don't <laughs> blast Christmas tunes until... Never. <laughs> I totally had my headphones in today just for Anthony's benefit. Thank you. Because <laughs> I've been blasting the Christmas tunes. I'm not a killjoy. I just... Christmas music is... Yeah, there's no there. FYI, there's no Christmas lights up in his recording <laughs> studio here right now. It's so vanilla. It's, it's just oh, it's funny. It's not vanilla. <laughs> there's a potato sack. Um. So anyway, yes, anyway, yeah. So 1920. Okay. Uh, really great quote regarding the thanksgiving celebration of the prison prisoners will not have a chance to feel lonely or dejected for the day will be given over to their amusement oh yeah they started with a film films were sponsored by the majestic theater downtown on main street at that point church services a patriotic singing of america you and i were just discussing how uh (laughs) how just how indicative of society in general at the time is this Mm -hmm. because i'm i'm sure it'd be a lot tougher to gather a modern uh, audience in a correctional institution for a for a patriotic song. Uh, then they'd follow that with readings of the president and governor's Thanksgiving proclamations, and they noted that that one of those proclamations would be read by Harry Orchard, yeah. the well known gubernatorial assassin yeah. here at the site longer than anybody forty six years. So there's a bit of irony in choosing him to read the governor's proclamation to the inmates. Yeah, I still don't understand that. Like. Was that a cheeky thing to do, or right. was it a rehabilitative thing for him to think <laughs> about? Because, like, everybody there would have known who he was and what he had done. It just seems so absurd that he read that. I'm still, like, kind of bothered by and they, that. And it's totally just um, don't read uh, close enough and you'll miss a detail. Yeah. They, they're, not, they're not even making a big deal about. Yeah. I think it's just because Harry Orchard was prominent Yeah, and, and in had, the prisons. Yeah, the widow of, of Stunenberg, like... They had become close, so maybe she asked him to. I was just thinking of it in more of a, like, you know, the if you look at prison as its own society, the mm-hmm. Harry Orchard would be considered one of the most prominent societal figures in yeah. that he was a donor to the prisons, con- to building construction, and mm-hmm. that he uh, um, eventually kind of had his own place mm-hmm. at the prison. So yeah. I just figured maybe he was... You know, we're gonna we're gonna give it to our our local celebrity here, kind of, yeah. But eventually, mm-hmm. the prison, because they're raising you know the hundreds thousands of turkeys here yeah. at the prison, uh, here uh, on their own accord for for use in the dining hall and the kitchens here. They eventually, because Harry Orchard more he more raised chickens, right? Mm-hmm. We yeah. Harry Harry He's Orchard a was a poultry man, but he was more on the chicken side, yeah. whereas. Uh, Charles George, inmate number 2253, was eventually became their most well-known turkey man, their most well-known turkey farmer. Uh, Charles George was arrested in his 30s um, on a first-degree murder charge. Uh, there was a brutal murder of a man named Tracheo Kristoff in Shoshone County mm-hmm. who was found beaten, bloodied, and robbed of his monetary possessions. They found Charles George with those 
with those documents on his person and scars, cuts, bruises. Mm. So what happened was that um, since they found those documents on him and surmised that he'd been in a fight as well, mm. they put two and two together and charged him with the murder of Tracheo Kristoff. But everything, his, his inmate file and the transcripts, his parole documents, mm-hmm. his documents uh, regarding his pardon request, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Every thing about him uses the word circumstantial. Oh, like every document yeah. relating to him <sighs> notes that the evidence on um, regarding his guilt was circumstantial mm-hmm. um, because no one was actually able to place him at the scene of the crime his parents are noted as being from uh, then macedonia Mm -hmm. not macedonia anymore i think northern macedonia exists um, and that he is of bulgarian descent so at the time he still wasn't the strongest uh, Mm -hmm. english speaker it's noted that he never really had a full grasp on the questions being asked of him but nevertheless he he still didn't admit guilt. He wasn't coerced into admitting guilt. He always, he proclaimed innocence, you know, till his dying day. And so he, but he was, he was charged and he was charged with the murder. He was given the death penalty Mm -hmm. despite that language barrier and despite the circumstantial evidence. Did he have any sort of defense? Like he didn't. Okay. Nothing was. Nope. He didn't have an alibi. Um, he, he just, didn't ex- just have a an proclamation of innocence. For, yep. For why? No, he that he he got them from another man. Oh, but he also wasn't gotcha. able to say who that man was. Of course. He just you know that he was that he was given them from somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's very very light, very very few details regarding the story. It's that Kristoff was found dead, mm-hmm. bloodied and bruised, and stolen from. And that Charles George was found with that money and also cut and bloodied. Mm-hmm. And all that Charles George could muster was that someone gave those documents to him. Oh. Oh. Right. Uh, this guy is officially referred to, officially and unofficially referred to as the third man. Oh. You know, the third yeah. man gave yeah. them to him. But he goes from, in his trajectory in prison, he goes from the death penalty Mm -hmm. to a life sentence upon an appeal. And that's basically built around the fact that the evidence was circumstantial, but that he didn't have an alibi. Mm -hmm. And so he, it's uh, changed. His sentence has changed much like Harry Orchard's from a death sentence to a life sentence. Right. And then he's actually eventually pardoned in 1927. Oh, wow. While he is incarcerated, he makes it his goal to earn enough responsibility and trust and freedom to oversee the turkey farm. He actually specifically asks to be the turkey farmer. I love that. And he, there's multiple profiles of the old, the Idaho State Penitentiary's turkey man, head turkey farmer Charles George, and his compassion and his treatment of the turkeys as his children. <laughs> Despite oh. the fact that, you know, the turkeys were going to be used for food. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, you know, it's it's generally a good thing for farmers to have compassion for mm-hmm. for animals while they're alive. Right. As, a, as opposed to as opposed to mistreatment in their life. And so an editor 
notes that it is hard indeed to realize that this lovable man committed the ghastly crime of which he was convicted. And he was pardoned in 1927 nice. because of how much freedom he had in his years here, how he, much time he was able to spend mm. with the turkeys and without a ton of direct supervision outside of the prison walls. Yeah. He is released. So he goes from a death sentence to a full pardon in his in his life here and in that time he raises thousands of turkeys for the prison's kitchens and for their thanksgiving meals so he's released in 1927 is no longer the old the penitentiary's turkey farmer and then in 1935 there's a massive escape on behalf of the turkeys the (laughs) In 19, on October 20th, 1935, thousands of turkeys, thousands, thousands of turkeys get spooked outside of the prison walls and start attempting to fly and make it on to, make it to the top of the wall. They make it to the top of the administration building, the cell houses and into the prison yard. <laughs> and so guards and inmates are chasing after the prison or after the turkeys, they're <laughs> making this joint effort to corral all of these birds. Surprisingly, in the chaos, there weren't any inmate escapes reported. <laughs> that it seems like everyone pretty much worked together to to quell the chaos. But uh, there were three casualties. There oh. were three turkeys who, who lost their lives in the scuffle. Oh Warden Ira Taylor said that we, the non-citizens of Ada County find that two died by suicide and one by tangling with a high-tension line. Oh. So one, oh one became electrocuted and two most likely, you know, hit a wall yeah. hard enough or something like that that they, that they, they died. But three out of, uh, you know, potentially thousands, if wow. thousands is to be believed, then, uh, then that's not, not terrible. Such, uh, a, but, such a funny visual. Right. That's so wild. It's, a, it's amazing that only one got electrocuted with all the power lines right. that were, like, weaving through these buildings. Oh, right. my gosh. I mean, I still, like, yeah. makes me cry <laughs> that three turkeys died. Now I'm going to go, and then I'm going to go eat, eat a turkey dinner here in a few escape, days. Right. <laughs> um, still, it still makes you makes you shed a couple tears, but that's you know we've we're despite the fact that Boise has encroached so much on the Idaho State Penitentiary, the now the old Idaho Penitentiary, and we're right outside of of the downtown area mm-hmm. and the um, the suburbs of warm springs uh we're still nestled against the wildlife and we still yeah. occasionally have the have birds that make it into our to our site and mm-hmm. and harm themselves fatally by running into windows trying to get out of here and so that's definitely not not difficult to envision yeah but you know like i said thanksgiving usually paled in comparison to their Christmas mm-hmm. celebrations. Yeah. Christmas celebrations were usually marked by pro, uh, full-scale programs on the part of the prisoners mm-hmm. themselves, as opposed to these these outside groups. These this is when the inmates would, like the inmate orchestra, orchestras, mm-hmm. and the inmate bands, or just groups of inmates putting on a putting on a pageant, mm-hmm. would accompany a, a Christmas meal and other and other festivities. Amongst the thousands of stories that make up the fabric of of the site's history there's these little sparkles 
throughout mm-hmm. there's these little glimmers of of happiness of of the inmates coming together and enjoying their day or of gifts and rehabilitation on the part of this of the state and the the staff here to the prisoners mm-hmm. absolutely well thanks for bringing some of those stories <laughs> into us that makes me so happy to do it. thank yeah. you for having me of course we're this is great. Um, we'll do it again sometime we'll soon. We'll do it again sometime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are. We have a busy year ahead of us. Mm-hmm. We have a busy 2020. Yes. Great new events mm-hmm. here at the site. Great new publications coming out that we're all working on. And uh, we'll look forward to sharing that with, with all of your listeners as the, as the months progress. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Awesome. Anything well, else you want to say? I think just happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Come out and come out and visit the the site if you haven't. Though what's great about what's great about behind gray walls is that you're able to share so many stories with people, uh, no matter where they're at. Mm-hmm. And uh, and people come there. They're only able to spend an hour or two here, mm-hmm. and can only take can only take so much in after. Uh, after being here that they get uh, information overload and sensory overload. And, and so this gives people an opportunity to follow up and learn more, mm-hmm. learn more after visiting here yeah. and continue to learn more of, of what the site uh, can speak to regarding modern correctional institutions and the, the social issues that we're facing today. So yeah, really proud of you for putting all this together and uh, yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you, JC. Yeah. I appreciate all your work on the marketing end and posting about the podcast releases every week. Of course. Thank you for it's pushing it out, it out there. there, getting it out in the world. It's yeah. So we're and a team like we, wow. Sky and I rely on you to help us get it out. So I appreciate that. So thank you. Well, <laughs> It's my pleasure. And um, how would you respond if I were to say, "Do your own time, JC"? Is you it, is it do up? your own crime? I love that's, it. Yeah. No, because that's not good, though. You don't want to say do your own crime. Well, essentially, uh, basically, we say do your own time, do your own number, and that's do our your crime. own number. Yeah. Interesting. Combat code, man. <laughs> do your own number do your own number (laughs) all right thanks for being on the show jc happy thanksgiving everybody see you all next tuesday hi everyone it's sky all the way from texas and i just wanted to get on and send a quick message i wish i had been able to have been a part of this awesome play that they recreated and i heard lots about before it aired on the podcast I'm just wishing you guys a happy Thanksgiving and happy holidays coming up. I'm envious of all the snow you guys are getting up there in Idaho. It is currently raining and 70 degrees down here, which for some people sounds like a dream. For me, it is not. So um, I wish that I was there with you guys to do plays and um, be a part of it. But just know that I'm down here in Texas finishing up finals and still doing work on the podcast to get you guys um, what hopefully you guys want to hear Uh, because like i said before i know that anthony anthony and i love doing it so i hope you guys are enjoying it as much as we are so i hope you had a great thanksgiving and i hope you have happy holidays coming up as well that's all i've got so do your own time and do your own number